Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Welcome to Seacoast Church. Uh, we are so excited that you guys are here. My name is Josh Surratt. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and uh, excited about the season that we're in, new series that we're kicking off. Uh, we'll tell you about that in a minute. Uh, I do want to give a welcome as well to anybody who's joining us online uh, or at one of our other locations here in South Carolina or up in Asheville, North Carolina. We are so glad to have you guys with us. And I want to give a shout out this morning to our North Charleston Dream Center. We had an incredible week this week serving the community up there. In fact, last weekend, about this time, we told you guys that we only had 30 turkeys and we needed 350 to serve at the Dream Center. And so and within 24 hours, we had over 500 turkeys that you guys brought and donated. So pretty cool. Um, and we cooked them up on uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then on Thursday morning, we were able to serve, don't know the exact number, but somewhere around 5,000 meals, the most that we've ever served up at uh, North Charleston together. And so grateful for an incredible church that was all campuses coming together to serve that community. So we're excited about, excited about that. Hey, we're starting a new series this weekend called The King is Coming. And this is going to be Seacoast's version of an Advent series. We're going to really hope to prepare our hearts for, for Christmas this year. And as I was thinking about that, we have a gift that we wanted to give to you guys. It's a devotional that's on your, on your seats. And uh, the reason we want to do this is because, I don't know if you're like me, how many of you guys have a phone that, that gives you notifications? If you get like a, a text message or whatever, you'll, you'll open it up and you'll have different notifications. Well, every now and then, I'll have my phone, I'll be away from it for a while, and I'll get back to it, and there will be so many notifications that I'll actually miss an important one. Uh, usually that would be something from my wife, Lisa, and uh, so I'll get home and she'll say, hey, did you stop by the store like I asked you to? And I'll go, oh, shoot, I'm, I'm sorry, I missed it. Uh, so that probably happens to some of you guys sometimes. And I was thinking about the Christmas season. I love this season, but there are a lot of notifications coming our way, right? Uh, we've got uh, parties to go to and presents to buy and preparing our house for Christmas and all the normal stuff that goes on with life. And for some of us, that notification is maybe a reminder that this is the first time that you're going through this Christmas season without somebody that, that you love, that maybe you lost because of a, a death or divorce or whatever that might be, but a lot of voices and notifications coming our way. And one thing we want to make sure that doesn't happen during this season, we don't want to miss the one voice that matters the most. What does God want to say to us during this season? I believe he has stuff he wants to do in all of us during this season. And so this is a devotional, a daily devotional that you can read. We want to encourage you to, I'm going to do it with my family every morning before they go to school, just kind of a short daily dip into God's word, and, and hopefully we'll hear from him during this season. It'll be available tomorrow online on version as well, which is an app that you can download on your smartphone, and uh, we'll have a reading plan that you can download as well. Uh, you can stay tuned to our Facebook page for more information about that, but hopefully the first gift that you receive during this Christmas season will be one that helps you make sure you hear from God during this season. Well, I'm going to introduce a great friend of mine to you this weekend, and if you've been at Seacoast for a number of years, then Ernest doesn't need an introduction. Uh, our guest speaker is a, a guy by the name of Ernest Smith, and Ernest came on staff at Seacoast the same summer that I did in 2001, and we've become very, very good friends, and he served Seacoast in some incredible ways, led our student ministry for several years, led our college ministry, helped us set up an internship, and just God has used him to be an incredible blessing to our church. And a couple of years ago, he and his family were called out to Castle Rock, Colorado to plant Front Range Christian Church, and 
They'll celebrate their two-year anniversary this coming February, and uh, God's just done some incredible things in their church. They launched their second location in September, so they're already a multi-site church and just an incredible, incredible church in Castle Rock area. So uh, he's a guest speaker, but he's, he's a son of the house. He's part of our family. Would you guys help me welcome back Pastor Ernest Smith as he shares with us? Thanks, buddy. It's truly an honor to be here, Sikos. I want to welcome all of you joining us online or maybe at another campus. We're so grateful to have you as well. And Sikos, it's just humbling and honoring to be with you uh, this weekend. You guys have made a huge difference in my life in so many, so many ways. <clears throat> I was reflecting back earlier this week how the first time I went to Sikos, I was this 15-year-old punk kid who had a lot of issues. And I still have a lot of issues, but these were like other issues. And uh, I, I didn't believe in God, and I just had, uh, it was just so much going on in my life. And my buddy kept inviting me to church, and I thought, man, there's no way. I'm not going to church. Like, church people don't like me. They'll probably kick me out. You know, you have all these, like, weird ideas about what church will be like before you ever actually go. And uh, so I said, no way, over and over and over. And finally, he said, you want to come play Ultimate Frisbee? I said, sure, I'll do that as long as I don't have to go to church. So went and played Ultimate Frisbee, and I looked around, and there were all these hot girls there. And I was like... <laughs> these hot girls come from? And he said, they came from this thing called youth group. And I'm like, all right, so guess where I was the next Sunday? I was at youth group. How many of you are grateful that God can use anything to draw you to himself? Uh, and and for, at that point, man, I finally came to know this guy named Jesus and placing my faith in him and learn how, what it meant to, to worship him and to follow him and all of that. And then got brought on staff here and served many years here, just getting the opportunity to grow and uh, be able to use some, uh, some giftings that God has given me to um, just see what Seacoast uh, has come into has just been humbling and, and amazing. And you guys, even if you don't know me or if you haven't been engaged here long, by your engagement here at Seacoast, you guys have made a massive, massive difference in my life. You've helped me become the man that I am, the father, the husband, the leader, uh, but also you've made a huge difference in our church. Uh, it's a, a, we, the church is called Front Range Christian Church, and uh, it's in Castle Rock, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver. And uh, we moved there about two years ago, knowing that God was calling us to, um, to go cheer on the Broncos um, and to plan a church, of course. And, uh, and we've just seen God do some incredible incredible things. And uh, we've seen so many people give their lives to Christ and marriages be restored and just so many different things. And we just launched our second campus a, a, a few months ago and just seen God do some incredible things there. In fact, since that time, every single weekend, we've had people make a decision for Christ and not just like raise their hand or look up at me, but actually mark it on a card so that we could then follow up with them and help them on their, their faith journey. And uh, I just want to tell one quick little story that happened back in August. Uh, it was kind of a normal Sunday, and uh, we had a couple services, and I was talking about how uh, we all go through trying times in life. Would you agree with that? All of us go through junk. We all have hardships. We all have curveballs thrown at us. But when you go through that, what do you do? And if you don't place your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have no rock to stand on. Like when you go through that stuff, when you go through that junk, if you don't have a firm foundation of who Christ is, then, then you won't make it through. So I just really challenged our congregation, like if there's anybody in here today that and you're, you're kind of in that spot, you're in that place and you need Christ, then make a commitment today to accept Christ. And uh, later on that afternoon, I got, a, I got an email from a guy and I just want to read a piece of it to you to kind of help you see the impact that you're making. He said this, today I woke up and I was done. I had no hope. I was tired of all the junk I've been dealing with in life. So I was giving up. 
I wrote my wife a suicide note to explain to her why I'd kill myself. And then for some reason, I decided to go to church before I ended it all. That day, he found hope in Jesus. That day, his life was radically transformed. And Sikos, that's because of your involvement. And you, from a guy you may never meet on this side of glory, I want to say thank you for him. I want to say thank you for your involvement here, by you serving here, by you giving here. You are making a difference, not just in the Charleston area and the other areas that the other campuses are in, but you are making a huge difference in this little teeny town called Castle Rock, Colorado. And I'm so grateful for you and all that you do. So thank you, Sikos. Give yourselves a round of applause. God is using you. He's using you in some incredible ways. And probably the greatest thing about that story was that the guy was longing for something we all long for, and that's hope. Uh, and he found it in Jesus Christ. And uh, right now you're, we're starting a series called The King is Coming. Where we're looking at over the next four weeks, what did Jesus come to bring us? When Jesus came, what did he come to offer you and I? What did he come to bring you and I? And I think one of the greatest things that he came to bring us was hope. Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you would agree with the statement that all people long for hope? Anybody agree with that? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, get another cup of coffee, join us, you know, let's engage a little. Uh, everybody longs for hope. I mean, hope is not just something people have longed for recently, but it's been something people have longed for for thousands of years. In fact, in the Bible, you, know, you see hope being mentioned over 125 different times. And it's in a lot of different scenarios. You see people who are longing for hope, who, people who have been able to find hope, people who have worked hard and hard and hard after trying to gain some semblance of hope. So hope is mentioned many times. It's a major, major theme of the Bible. And I believe it's also a major theme of our culture. But what is hope? Where do you find it? When do you need it? I mean, there's all kinds of definitions. There's all kinds of uh, different ways that people have described hope in our culture. Let me just give you a few of those. Desmond Tutu, who uh, is a major activist against the South African apartheid, he said this, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. One of the greatest leaders of our modern world, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., said it this way, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. Pastor Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, which is a book that has sold more copies than any other book in the history of the world outside of the Bible, he says it this way, what gives me the most hope every day is God's grace. Knowing that his grace is going to give me the strength for whatever I face, knowing that nothing is a surprise to God. And even the great theologian Elton John said this, when all hope is gone, turn on those sad songs. Now, I'm not sure, I don't know if he was talking about country music there or what, but uh, you know, and I'm not sure that actually helps. If you don't have any hope, don't turn on sad songs. That might make things worse. But I think he is onto something when he says, when all hope is gone. Not if, but when. You ever been in a place in your life when you felt like all hope was gone? You ever been in a relationship where you looked at that relationship and you thought there is no hope? You ever had a medical condition or doctors tell you that there's no hope. You ever been there financially or in a job situation where you thought, man, there is no hope in this situation? You ever been there spiritually? Spiritually where you thought, man, there's just, there just seems to be no hope for me spiritually. Now, this would be a great place for me to interject some, you know, joke about the Carolina Gamecocks and how their fans really have no hopes. But, you know, I'm not going to do that because, you know, the, fresh is, the, the wound is fresh and all that. But have you ever cheered for a team that was so bad that you had lost all hope, not just for that season, but many seasons to come. Go dogs. <clears throat> there was this guy who lived around 550 BC. His name was Job. And when he had lost all hope, this is what Job said. But when I hoped for good, evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness came. 
Have you ever been there? Like in a place where you're like, I just want something good to happen to me and more bad keeps happening. Or like, I just wish a glimmer of light would shine through this darkness and yet more darkness seems to cloud your life. When you're there, what do you do? When you're in that place, what do you do? What do you hold on to? You know, so many people who believe that once you become a Christian, then, you know, everything's good. Like your problems are, are solved and, you know, you should be instantly happy and all that other stuff. And if you've been a Christian longer than like a day, you know that that's not the case. And I mean, it's still challenging. It's still very difficult. There's still a lot of hardships. And, you know, so for some reason, people think you should just be okay. Just put a smile on and just go about the day and, you know, just think that things will get better eventually. But that stuff doesn't work. When you're going through the midst of, of pain and hardships and situations that seem so hopeless, you need some type of hope to hang on to. But what is that hope? And where do you find it? Let me give you three truths about hope that I think that when you're in the midst of the darkness, when you're in the midst of the pain, that these three truths will help you hold on to something that will get you through all of that. Now, as I was praying about this morning, I really feel like the Lord wants me just to focus on the third one. But there's three blanks to fill in there. And since some of you will start twitching, you know, if I don't give you all the blanks, uh, then I'm just going to give you the first two, but we're going to kind of go by them pretty quickly, okay? The first truth about hope is hope is essential. It's essential. Someone once said that you can live 40 days without food, three days without water, 10 minutes without air, but not a single moment without hope. Hope's essential. The second truth is hope is eternal. It's eternal. That hope lasts through everything. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Hope is essential, it's eternal, but the third truth that I want to focus on, I believe is the most important truth, and that's this, that hope is only found in Jesus. Hope is only found in Jesus. The Bible makes it very clear all throughout God's word that if you place your hope in anything other than him, that your hope will perish. In fact, earlier in, in Job's story, this is what he says in Job 8, 13, such are the paths of all who forget God, the hope of the godless shall perish. If you place your hope in anything other than Jesus Christ, it's not going to last. If you place your hope in anything other than God, it will not get you through some of the most difficult times that you will encounter in your life. In fact, some of us right now, we're in that difficult season. Some of us right now, we walked into this place and we thought, man, okay, I'm giving God my last chance. And this is it. I'm done if you don't show up in my life. For some of us, we're not there yet. Like some of us, we're in a great place, but you will be there soon. Give it a week, give it a month, give it a year, because life is like that. It's like cyclical. You know, if you're not in the junk now, you'll be in it at some point. And when you're in the midst of that, what hope do you have if it's placed in anything other than God? And I know there's a mentality it can be hard to, to grab a hold of or to believe at times, because a lot of people, we place our hope in a lot of different things. Even already today, this weekend, I've had a lot of conversations with people who've said, man, my hope was in this, or my hope was in that, or whatever. For some people, their hope is in money, and they think, man, if I can just get more money. You know, my problem with that is all my money is dollar bills. So, like, you don't get very far with that. It doesn't help you a whole lot. But even if your money is $100 bills, at the end of the day, it won't last. At the end of the day, it won't provide the satisfaction and the hope and the joy that you're longing for in life. Some people, they place their hope in relationships. And they think, if I can just have this 
relationship or if, or if my marriage could just be better or if, if my relationship with my kid, if, if we were reconciled or if my relationship with my dad, if I could learn to forgive him or whatever the case may be, we think, man, if I could just have this in a relationship, then we think that we're going we're gonna to find the hope that we're longing for. People in Colorado, we put our, our hope in adventure. And we think that if I can just climb one more mountain, or if I can just ski one more double black diamond, or if I can just complete one more race, or whatever the case may be, if I can just do this. Some people, they put it in their jobs. If I can just climb the corporate ladder, if I could just get this business off the ground, whatever the case may be, we could have everything around us crashing. Everything around us could be going terribly. But we think, if I could just have this, then everything will be okay. But God makes it very clear that if your hope is in anything other than Jesus, it will perish. It will perish. One of the greatest passages that deals with this subject of hope and where do we find it is Psalm 62. Now, Psalm 62 was actually, it was sung together. The Israelites, when they were facing hardship or when they were facing darkness or whatever the case may be, they would, they would remind themselves of God's faithfulness and of God's goodness by singing this song together. It's a psalm written by a guy named David, and I thought in order for us to get in kind of the spirit of this psalm, we're going to sing it together, okay? But just two verses. So I'm going to put the first two verses up on the screen, then I'm going to count to three, and on three, I want you guys to sing this psalm with me. Sound good? Just so we can kind of get in the spirit a little bit. Ready? All right, one, two, three, four. No, I'm just joking. Don't do that. <laughs> we have a worship team for a reason, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not on it, and many of us are not on it, you know? But, so let me just read it to spare all of our ears and our hearts. Let me just read it for us. Verses 1, verse 2, it says this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Stop right there for a moment. I love this passage, especially at the very beginning where David says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. How difficult is silence for us? In our culture, silence is not something that most people gravitate toward. Sure, there's some of us in here that we love silence, and you're like, can you just be quiet now, Ernest? There's others of us in here, though, where silence is very difficult. We've always got to have the radio on. We've always got to have the TV on. There's always got to be some type of input coming into our lives because silence makes us uncomfortable. It makes it weird. But David, said, David says here, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. God is my redeemer. God is my salvation. God is the one who will bring me out of this junk. God is the one who will redeem me. God is the one who will bring new light and new life into my life, and I will wait for him. The Israelites knew that they needed to wait for God. They would have never said that we're waiting for this guy named Jesus, but they would have said we're waiting for our Savior. We're waiting for a Messiah. We're waiting for God to show up. And for some of us, that's a very difficult place to be and a place of waiting and a place where we say, okay, God, I'm not going to try to kick down the doors. I'm not going to try to do this on my own. I'm going to wait for you. David continues, verse 3 and 4. He says, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. David's talking about a specific situation they're in where there are people who are coming against them, who are coming against the Israelites. They're trying to tear them down. They're trying to bring them down to, to even their level, trying to destroy them in some ways. But David really could have been talking about any, 
any type of darkness in our lives. He could have been talking about getting a bad medical report. He could have been talking about a a bad relationship that we hope will get better, but it's not seeming to get better. He could have been talking about a job situation. He could have been talking about anything that is difficult for us to go through. Any pain that keeps happening, any darkness, any hopeless situation. And if we would take note from David's response, I think when we're in the midst of the hopelessness, when we're in the midst of the pain and the trials, we'll be able to have, hold on to a hope that will get us through anything. Here's how David responds, verse 5. He says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That is so much in this passage. I mean, we could talk about a whole lot of things. I mean, it says that God is my mighty rock. He's my refuge. He's my salvation. He's my fortress. I won't be shaken. He's my refuge. He goes on and on, but there's really two things in this passage that stand out to me. The first, he says that hope, my hope is only found in God. It's not found anywhere else. It's not found in what others say. It's not found in my position. It's not found in my wealth. It's not found in anything else other than God. And the second thing that he says that really stands out to me, uh, he says, trust in him. In verse 8, trust in him at all times. That sounds so encouraging, right? I mean, trust in God at all times. That sounds so good, something that we probably would all long for, but how difficult is that? I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe you're like super spiritual, but for me, like it's easy for me to trust in God in the good times. Like, I got that one down. Check. Like, when everything's going great, it's easy. I'm like, ooh, I can trust. God, you are good. This is awesome. My life is good. My ministry is good. My finances, everything is good. But the moment things start to go south, that's the moment I want to grab a hold of everything. I want to rein it all back in and trust in me and not trust in him. When things aren't going well, when things seem a little hopeless, when things seem darker and darker and darker, that's the time that my trust in him becomes less and my trust in me becomes more. So how do we get to a place in our lives where we are trusting in him at all times? How do we get to a place in our lives where he is our number one place that we go to for hope and salvation and to be that rock? Well, David kind of answers that for us uh, throughout the rest of the passage. Here's what he says in verses 9 and 10. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. David's saying the first step in learning to trust God in all times is to choose not to trust trust in the other things that the world around us puts their trust in. And two things specifically he names here. Number one, power. Many people, when we feel kind of hopeless, we feel like, you know, the, there's just junk going on around us, we begin to trust more in our own power, more in our own ability. I know many of us guys, that's how we are. We think, well, you know what? I'm just going to push through. Like, I'm just going to kind of do this on my own. I'm going to strap up my boots, and we're just going to trudge through this thing. I'm just, we're going to make it work. And we kind of begin trusting in ourselves, thinking that I'm good enough or that I'm smart enough or, or whatever the case may be to be able to get me through this situation. But David says, if you want to learn to trust in God at all times, you can't trust in your own power. And the second thing you can't trust in is your own wealth, is your own money. David says, if you want to learn to trust in God at all times, you can't trust in your ability, 
and your power and your, your knowledge, your thinking you can make it through, and you can't trust in your money because all of that will perish. All of that will go to the wayside. So then where is our hope? He continues, he wraps it up with these two verses. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. I love the ending here. David says this at the very beginning, once God has spoken twice, I have heard this. What he's saying is this statement is true. What I'm about to tell you is true. Now, none of us would use that language anymore. Like none of us would say once God has spoken or once I have spoken and twice you've heard. Like it would be weird. If you talk like that, stop. Like no one's listening. <laughs> but in David's time, that's how you did it to say, hey, what I'm about to tell you is about the truest thing I could ever tell you. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, what? That power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. When you're in the midst of darkness, when you're in the midst of pain, when you're in the middle of a situation that seems so hopeless, don't place your trust in your own power, in your own ability. And what most of us do, and that's to try to rein it in and try to control what we think we can control. Don't put your trust in wealth, but simply remember, remember two things. Number one, remember God's power, that God is strong, that he is all-powerful, that God is stronger than anything you are currently facing. He is stronger than anything you will ever face in your life. God is stronger than your disease. God is stronger than your brokenness. God is stronger than your emptiness. God is stronger than your loneliness. God is stronger. And there's a tendency that we have to kind of rein things back in, to pull things back in, thinking, well, you know what? I, I tried to trust God, and it didn't seem to work out. Or I've tried to give this over to him, but it doesn't seem like he's really doing anything, so I'm just going to take it on myself. You ever found yourself in that place? We just try to bring it back to ourselves, but that's not how, that's what we're called to do. That's not how we were created to be. We were created to trust that God is all powerful. And so your prayer life needs to increase in those moments of pain. It needs to increase in those moments of darkness. It needs to increase in those moments of hopelessness. We need to be praying these like crazy prayers. Prayers that if people heard you praying them, they think, man, you're nuts. Like doctors would say, well, that's never going to happen. Your friends would say that relationship will never be restored. People would look at you and say, well, that, that could never happen. But your God is stronger. Your God is more powerful. Your God is stronger than anything you will ever face in your life. And he can and will overcome. So you've got to remember God's power. The second thing you've got to remember is God's love. That God loves you. He's madly in love with you. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. I'll turn to your other neighbor, the one you didn't like as much, or you want to turn to them first, <laughs> and say, God loves me. <laughs> Just created some tension that some of you will have to work through later at lunch or something. God loves you. He is so madly in love with you. And for some of us, we've never heard that before. I mean, until I started coming to this place, I never heard God loves me. Never. I grew up in the South my whole life. Never heard that. Never knew that, never understood that, never would have believed that. I didn't believe that when I first started hearing him. I'm thinking, that's crazy. How could God love me? Like if he's all-knowing, then he knows what I've done. Like there's no way he would love me. And I think sometimes when we're in the midst of 
the most challenging circumstances, when we're in the midst of the darkest times, the most hopeless times. I don't know if you've ever been here, but for me, sometimes it's, remember, it's, it's hard to remember what God did yesterday. It's hard to remember what God did a month ago. It's hard to even remember what God did a year ago. And when you're in that place, when you're in a place that it's hard to remember what God has done in your life, turn your gaze upon the cross. Because it's at the cross where God has reminded all of us of his power and of his love. It's at the cross that God says, I love you so much. That your sin separating you and I, it's done. I'm tired of it. I no longer want the separation. So he sends his only son, Jesus Christ, here, lives a perfect life, and dies on the cross for us. Why? To pay the penalty. The penalty that we deserve to pay. He paid it. It was the only thing that could work to get us into a right relationship with God. You and I couldn't work hard enough. We couldn't do enough good things. We couldn't attend church enough. None of that. The only thing to make us right with God was a sacrifice, and Jesus became that. God said, I love you. And when we're in the midst of a place where we can't even remember that God loves us, it's hard to know or to recall how God has shown his love to us. Simply look at the cross. But it's also the place where we see God's power. Because Jesus didn't just die on the cross, but he was raised from the dead three days later. And it was him being raised from the dead that reminds us that God is in control. That God overcomes your sin, that God overcomes your fears, that God overcomes the junk in your life and in my life. And I'm so glad that that 15-year-old kid that walked into this place, who knew nothing about God, understood nothing about Jesus and his salvation for me, that there were people in my life who would tell me that God loves me and that he is more powerful. And there are some of us in here today that we need to be reminded of those two truths. That we need to be reminded that God loves you. And for some of us, it's the first time hearing it. For others of us, we've heard that before and we've just kind of, we've gotten into this funk, into this place where we don't want to be, but we don't know how to get out. And today, God's just simply trying to remind you that he loves you. And we need to be reminded of his power, that he can overcome anything, that his power is greater than anything you are facing right now or anything you've faced before. And my prayer for you is if you're in that place, if you're in a place where you walked in here today and you kind of said, man, this is not like my last chance because I'm kind of done with this whole thing. I'm done with this relationship. I'm done with this business. I'm done with this spiritual thing. I'm done with all, I'm done, I'm done. My prayer for you is that today God has spoken to you saying, A, he loves you. And B, he is more powerful than anything you've been facing. You just have to turn to him. For those of us who are in a good place, who are like, man, everything is good right now. My prayer for you is that when everything is not good, whether a week from now or a month from now, five years from now, whatever it is, when everything is not good, that you will be reminded of God's truths, that he loves you and that he is more powerful than anything you're facing. And may we, as a community, may we as a church, place our hope in something that is sure that will last. May we place that essential hope, the hope that we all long for, may it be rooted deeper into a relationship with Jesus so no matter what we face in life, we know where we can turn. and We know we can trust him in all times because he is powerful and he loves you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity, God, just to, God, get into your word. 
and hear from you. And God, I thank you that the Israelites were dealing with stuff that we even deal with today. And Father, thank you that we can take their example and what they did and re reminding ourselves of your faithfulness, of your goodness, of your power, of your love. God, thank you. And Father, I know that there are people in this room, just like every service up until this point, there, there are people in this room who we've come into this place today and we've kind of said, man, this is my, this is my last chance. God, I'm giving you one more shot. God, you know those people by name. And right now, they feel like you've been reading their mail this whole week. God, I pray for those individuals that they would come to know you today. Father, for those who have kind of walked away from the faith, who at some point placed their faith in you, Lord Jesus, but would say, now, man, I feel so distant from God. I feel so far. I feel like I've tried to grasp my own hope and my own life through wealth or through power or whatever it may be, but Right now, we feel so empty and so lost. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, if that's you, if you would say, man, I walked into this place and I, I've never accepted Christ. I've never given my life over to Jesus Christ, whether you're here at this campus or one of the other campuses. And you've never given your life to Jesus or maybe at some point, maybe when you were 8 or 15 or 25 or whatever, you accepted Christ. But if you were to look at your life now, you'd say, man, you know what? I've been depending on myself this whole time. My faith in Jesus hasn't been very real. If you want to make a commitment to Christ today, you want to make a recommitment to Christ today, what I want you to do is I want you, because there's so many people in the room, with every head bowed, every eyes closed, I just want you to look up at me and raise your hand. I'm going to start on the left side, or look up your campus pastor and raise your hand. Look, I'm going to start on my left, your right, and I just want to make eye contact with you. So if you're making a commitment to accept Christ today or recommit your life to Christ today, just look up at me, raise your hand, whether you're in the balcony or you're on the floor. So I can just pray for you. Amen. 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 Praise God. God, thank you. Amen. God, thank you for your power, your goodness. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that when we do our own thing, we walk our own journey, we go our own way, God, that you're, we're never too far from your grace. We're never too far from your power. God, we're so grateful for that. And Father, I thank you that your word says if we just simply confess our sins to you, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of our sins. So God, we confess our sins to you now that we've been doing our own thing. We've been walking our own path, living our own life. God, trying to control things, trying to place our hope in things other than you. And today, God, we confess that to you now. We ask for your forgiveness. God, I thank you that your word also says that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved except for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your salvation, Jesus. Thank you that in the midst of the hopelessness and the pain and the trials that all of us go through, that we can have hope in you and you alone. And Father, I pray for all of us that you would tell us what our next steps are. God, we'd be able to take what we talked about today, God, and be able to implement it into our lives in some way. Tell us what to do from here so that our foundation, so that our faith would be deeply rooted in your hope, in you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name, amen.